Good morning, MCC. I want to start today by asking you a question. Kind of a random question, a little strange, a little odd. Uh, but I want to ask you this question. What neighbor, family member, coworker, friend, maybe an in-law, but which one of those people have the most influence on your life, financially speaking? Like, which one of them and what they do with their money has influence on what you do with your money? If I had to bet, it's probably not, like, the rich uncle who lives in California. And if I had to guess, too, it's probably not the kid on your son's t-ball team who you would never say this out loud, but you look at them and go, yeah, they're kind of poor. If I had to bet, most of us don't even realize that there are people around us who are affecting what we do with what God has given us. See, we're in this series called Economic Atheist, and, and we're talking about stewarding what God has given us like we actually believe He exists. And as I've been uh, leaning in and, and I was preparing to talk to you guys about this stuff this week, I found myself asking myself a few questions, and maybe they're questions that you've asked yourself as well. Sometimes I wonder, what would I own? Like, what would I own and what would I have if I didn't know what everybody else owned and what everybody else had. You ever think about that? Like, what would you have if you didn't know what everybody else had? Would you have, like, you know, stockpiles of toilet paper at your house? Would you have the car that you drive? What would you have if you didn't know what everybody else had? Think about another way is how much influence does what you guys have and what other people have have on what I have? I think about it like this, too. I find myself asking myself this question. What would I want if I didn't know what everybody else had? Like, what would I just like, because of who I am, what would I want? Like, would I want to put shiplap in my home if it wasn't for Joanna and Chip Gaines? Would you? Would I want a Yeti cooler? Would, would the temperature of my drinks matter that much to go and spend that much money and buy that? Or would an igloo cut it? And I have this even a little bit scarier question, and I think about how much more money would I have saved if I didn't know what everyone else had spent their money on? Like, how much money would I just, like, have saved for the future if I didn't see all the things that I thought I had to do to keep up with them? And probably the scariest question of all that I found myself asking myself, and maybe you've asked this as well, maybe you haven't, is how much money would I have given away to people who have less than me if I was not aware of what the people who had more than me spent theirs on. See, I think sometimes we underestimate how much what other people do with their money affects what we do with ours. And I don't know about you, but, but I have this problem. You know what the problem is? I know too much. And I know too much about how other people spend their money and I know too much about what they have, and I know too much about what I feel like I don't have. And because of this, it breeds this thing. It breeds this thing called discontentment, where I look around at what I have, and because I know so much about what you have, I'm not content with what I have and what God's given me. And what happens when we do this is we look around at all the things that everybody else has and we go to our own life and we go, well, I've got to keep up, I've got to measure up and I've got to do these things. And it puts us in this place where we can become so content with nothing and we seek after and we strive for 
all these different things. And so many people, and I'm, 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 I know who I'm talking to today because this is just us, a room with this many people in it. I know there are people who are staying awake at night, struggling about what they're going to do with money. There are some of you in college right now, and you have no idea how much student loan debt you have and how it's going to affect you. I don't mean to terrify you and give you an anxiety panic attack in the morning. But here's the deal. Sometimes I think we're really unaware and there's an amount of stress that comes at us that is just unruly. And so I think, man, is there a better way? Is there a better way than trying to chase after the way that everybody else does things with their money? Or could we actually not be a people who says, I'm going to do whatever, all that I do based off of what they're doing and actually go, man, what if there's a better option? And so today I want to talk to you about what I believe is that better option. Because I think we all can agree that allowing everyone else's spending decisions to be the primary influencer of our spending decisions, that has left all of us dangerously discontent. And so today I want to offer what I believe is a better solution. And this better solution starts with the letter B. For a lot of you guys, it's a cuss word. This better solution is this thing called a personal budget. Personal budget. Personal, but not, not everybody else's budget, but a personal budget. And so today we're going to ask the question, man, if I am a follower of Christ, or even if I just want to budget in a way that would actually be healthy, you, this, is a, this is not a necessarily just a Christian thing today, this is just a thing thing. And if you can live this out, I guarantee that your life will be dinner, generous. I guarantee that your life will have more peace in it. Because I think all of us, we go, I could use some more contentment. I could use some more financial peace. And for those of you, you hear me talk about budget and you go, goodness, I don't want to talk about budget. My mom has been trying to get me to write a budget since I was a little kid. And I, don't, I just don't do, you're like, I just don't do budgets. Like, I'm just not a budget person. But here's the deal. You are. Everybody in this room. If you have money in your pocket or money in some account somewhere, newsflash, friend, you actually have a budget. The reality is, is you have some other person's budget because they're the ones who you're taking your cues for to spend what you've got. See, some of you don't think you have a budget, but the reality is you have your Facebook friend from high school, Sharon's budget. And you have what's called the kid on my son's t-ball team whose dad spends $500 on a t-ball bat budget. You have the my sister-in-law who's too good for Pop-Tarts budget. See, we all have budgets. The problem with letting everybody else make up what our budget is, is if you don't set one that is personal, your actual budget becomes this crazy conglomeration of who you follow on Instagram, who you follow on Facebook, the people you hang around, and everybody that you see. And see, if you don't set a personal budget, your budget actually becomes this dangerous conglomeration of everybody else's budget that's around you. And that is why we feel the way we feel. Because we haven't done anything to set ourselves up for a place to live not just beneath our means, but within our means. And so today... What I want to hopefully be able to do is to have us all just get on the same page and go, listen, we're all Americans. We all understand that this is kind of the reality that we live in where it's so much easier to keep up with the Joneses than it has ever been before. But what if there is a better way to make spending decisions? There's a better influence of what we do with our money than looking out at what everybody else does with it. What if we took our focus out from out there and actually put it in God's word? 
and said, God, I want to let you and the truth that has found in your word actually guide me and be what is the driving force to how I manage and budget the money that you have given me. And today what I want to do is I want to walk you through three keys, three keys that I've been taught in order to set a budget there's a budget like a believer would have. Somebody who says, I believe in Christ. And so because I believe in Christ, I'm going to actually budget this way. So if you're taking notes, you can begin to write some of these down. I believe that if you can put these into practice, and again, they're going to be really simple, but the things that are simple oftentimes require the most discipline. But I believe if you can put some of these into practice, the financial peace and the contentment and you being able to experience the joy of generosity is closer than you may think. Let me pray for you, and we're going to dive into these. Jesus, Father, let us never underestimate how much hangs in the balance of us getting this right. You said that where our treasure was, there our heart would be. We want our heart to be yours. We want you to be our treasure. Father, you told us we couldn't serve two masters, and, and so today I, I pray that You would allow your word to be something that sets people who are slaves to money free. Only you could do that. Only your word could do that. My wisdom would fall short and will fall short. But I pray that your wisdom that's found in your word would draw people to you. To freedom. To peace. To contentment. To joy. In your name. Amen. So if you're taking notes, I want to talk to you today about three keys to budgeting like a believer would. First key to budgeting like a believer, you're taking notes, write this down, is self-control. 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 And what self-control means is that I live inside my budget. Live inside your budget. Turn to your neighbor, the one that you like the most, and say, it is my budget. It is my budget. Whose budget? Your budget. And see, we live in a society where no one wants to live within their budget. I love what the, the, the author of, of the Proverbs said. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 7, he said this. Proverbs 13, 7. One person pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. See, guys, we have become a nation of pretenders. People who pretend to have things that we really don't have to impress people that we really don't like. And we buy those things with money we don't have. I love another way that um, Paul was talking to Timothy, and he was writing this letter to him to try to encourage him and help him know how to teach the other churches that were budding in this to say, if we're going to be the ecclesia, the called out one, a, a church, a group of people who are following after Christ, who are apprenticing ourselves to him and live a different lifestyle, then what we do with what God has given us is important. And as Paul was writing to Timothy, this is what he said in, in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation, which... For those of you who are here and you're like, man, I really just love to be rich. Lean into God's word. It says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, it's a trap. There you go. 
Let them know. And into many foolish and harmful desires, they plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money. Let's read this part together. Y'all, y'all, got, y'all, are, y'all, are, y'all are hanging with me today. Let's read this last part together. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He did not say money is the root of all evil. Money has no emotions. Money's just a thing. But he said the love of money is a root all kinds of evil. He says, it is a trap. And when we look at this, the key in understanding that I have got to live within my budget is understanding I have got to have self-control. Because here's the deal. You're never going to be able to control where they go on vacation. You're never going to be able to control what their kid shows up to school with in his lunchbox that your kid's going to go home. Mama, why can't I get snack packs every week? Snack packs, snack packs, are expensive. You're never going to be able to control those things. But we've got to be able to have self-control. Now, you want to know the golden word of self-control. You're not going to like it. But if you can learn how to say this word, simple, short word. If you can learn how to say this simple, short word, you will be getting this practice, this spiritual practice of self-control. You know what this word is? Two letters. N-O. Let's all say it together. No. 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 If you can learn to say no. You're going to find yourself on the path to self-control, and I believe on the path to being able to live within your budget. And so the question, guys, and again, let's, let's, just, let's just be honest. Let's be real. So it talks about self-control. Like, ladies, do you really have to have a manicure every other week? Do you, do you have to? Do you have to? Now, you guys are like, don't, don't, step, don't, don't step on my toenails, sir. Maybe you do. I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of things you got going on under there. Manicures, pedicures, who knows? It's the wintertime. They've been hiding, hibernating, <laughs> growing. But, but here's the deal, and I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I'm a male, and I don't know if you need a manicure every other week. I have no idea, but as a male, I have been in locker rooms. I've been in break rooms. I've been at ball. I've been, I've been a lot of places around a lot of guys, and one of the things I swear I have never heard a group of um, any male say, bro, check out the nails. Bro, look at those nails. Give me some of that. I ain't, I've never heard it. I mean, like, if you, if, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things where, I, I don't know. And fellas, I mean, you're not off the hook. Same deal. Guys, do you really need to buy the tool when your neighbor owns it? There are so many things in your garage that you could have borrowed. I mean, if nothing else, that's why you should keep going to this church. There's so many guys who have so many tools at this church. You should never have to buy another one. (laughs) Does an 11-year-old really need an iPhone 11? The 11-year-olds are like, yes, Lord. And see, there's, there, there's, there's this beautiful power in learning to say no because this is where the self-control that goes. That's what they've got. That doesn't mean that's got to be what I've got. And see, parents, this is just free stuff right here. If we can learn to tell our kids no, and some of you guys, this is hard. Because some of you are like me, and you grew up poor. And you just want to give your kids whatever they ask for. Because you're like, man, I know what it's like to get told no every, around every corner. You just want to give them what they want. I don't know. 
some of you guys are probably like me, like, any parents in the room, especially parents of younger kids, you just tell your kids no for the heck of it. Like, you're just like, you're like, you, you like, you just have this feeling inside of you that, like, I've told you too many yeses today, and I got to tell you a few no's. <laughs> the other night, we were, at, we were at Chick-fil-A, and, I mean, the ice cream is already paid for. All they got to do is go take the book up there, and they get a free ice cream, and Titus, can we have ice cream? No. No. Yes, I'm, I'm a bad parent. But here, here's what I'm trying to teach them. I'm trying to teach them delayed gratification. Parents, grandparents, if you can teach your kids delayed gratification, not only are you teaching something that will be fruitful in the future, but at the same time, in the present, you are teaching them to have gratitude for what they currently have. You are fighting against a culture that's teaching every one of our kids to be entitled, that they deserve this. I love this story. Jessica went to this women's conference, and she came back, and she was telling me about this lady who was teaching. And she said she got tired of her kids, always thinking that they were supposed to get a treat after every meal. And she started asking them after the meal, honey, is your belly full? And if they said yes, he said, there's your treat. (laughs) They get in on a rainy day like to this, they come in and they say, are you dry? They say, yes, that's your treat. Did you get to school today via car? Yes, ma'am, that's your treat. And so I think if we can do these things, we're teaching our kids that godliness with contentment is great gain, but it's not just a kid lesson. It's a grown-up lesson. And there's a lot of grown-ups in this room, myself included, that struggle with this idea of delayed gratification because everything in our culture says that if you don't get this now, your life is going to be worse. And so we've got to learn this value of the self-control that says, I'm going to live within my budget. And so some of you are like, man, uh, okay, I, I, I've never done a budget before. I don't even know where to start. So what I want to do is I want to help you on this. I can't give you everything of the budget, but I'm going to try to give you some, some parameters. And I'm going to use some fruit, um, not fruit snacks today, but other kinds of fruit, Skittles. Oh, some leftovers. Okay. Most people... This is their priorities in life, all right? I live, maybe I save, and if it gets like a tearjerker song with Sarah McLaughlin with the dogs and the puppy dog eyes or enough orphans, I'll give some. That's how most people live. And the thing is, is God is generous to all of us. And so we all have stuff that we live off of. Some people are different, but we all got stuff. So, this is you. This is, this is all of your income. This is everything that God has given you, fiscally speaking. And the reality is, church, this is how most people live. Their life has these three categories. But this is how most people live. And this, even within the church, is what creates economic atheists. People who, with everything that they have, they live completely to the brim off what my living expenses I have zero margin in my life. Yes, it would be nice to give. It would be nice to be generous. But I can't because everything I have goes to making my living conditions work. And this is not the order either. This is the order. But for so many of us, even within churches, 
Wow, this is God's order. This is what he says. This is parameters. If you want to live within the favor that I want to pour out on you, this is what it looks like. So many of us are right here. And everything that God has given us is going into just living. And if we're lucky sometimes, we're here. If we do a sermon series on money, we'll get, we'll, oh, we get two out of it. We get two. But what God has set us up with, and I believe is just a financial principle that if we as a people can begin to live into, I think this can revolutionize your ability to be generous. I think this can be one of the things that actually gives you the financial peace and the contentment that you have been after. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's called the 10-10-80 principle. 10-10-80 principle. This is what Jessica and I do in our lives. This is what so many people who have found financial peace and who have found contentment and are truly being able to experience the joy of a generous life have experienced it because they have begun to live out this principle. And here's basically how it goes. Because God is God and I am not. And he commands me to give the first fruits of what I have to him. I commit that I'm going to give 10% of my income directly to him first and foremost. Making a little mess. It's okay. Hey, will y'all let me know when I get to 10%? I can't tell. Let me know. See how generous y'all are. Let me know when I get to 10%. Okay, I'm good. That good? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we, we give the 10, all right? Now, hear me on this. Even a lot of people who tithe, this is still where they're at. And they're trusting Uncle Sam when they retire to take care of them. And I don't know about you, but that's, I, don't, I don't got a whole lot of trust for him. Um, young people, if you're under 30, listen in. Let me just break some bad news to you. You're going to get old. There's going to come a day when you're not going to be able to work anymore. There's going to come a day where you're going to actually want to like kick your feet up. There's going to come a day where you're going to want to say, I, I want to go on that mission trip. I want to go and support those things. I want to go and do these things. But you're going to be 75 years old, not working at Home Depot because you want to, but because you have to. And I don't want that for you. I want you to experience the joy of generosity. And so because of that, we need, we need to save some stuff. And we'll call that, we'll call that 10 as well. Get that yellow one out of here. Disgusting. And so this is the 10, 10, 80 principle. And what the enemy would say to most of you is that you can only keep living with 100% of what God has given you right here. But what I have seen be true by actually living this out is that Jessica and I can do way more with God's honor and God's favor living off of 80% than we could ever do living off of 100%. And I believe that that same thing is true for you. I believe this is something we should teach our kids. This is how we operate as a church. We're not just at 10% that we're giving away. We're at 16%, and then we're saving stuff, and then we're living and allowing the missions that MCC has, what happens week in, week out here, that's the 80% that we're working off of. And my encouragement to you is find a way to make this happen. Now, some of you you financial gurus in the room are going, hey, if we've got, you know, I can flip it around the other way and say, you got debt. And before you get to this bucket saving stuff up you need to climb out of debt you need to quit being a slave to a credit card company you need to quit being a slave 
to a car that I don't again that you bought to not to impress somebody that I don't know that they don't they probably don't even really care about the car. This is about living within our budget and having that self-control. And it's going to take a lot of self-control to get to 10, 10, 80. But what will happen in that is you'll get to this place where you begin to experience what freedom is really like. Second thing, if you're taking notes, this is the second key to budgeting like a believer is sacrifice. Sacrifice. And sacrifice is understanding that everyone does not have the same budget. Everyone does not have the same budget. But here's the deal. There's this verse I love that lays out a beautiful representation of the sacrifice that Jesus made. It's Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Do you realize how counterintuitive that sentence is? For the joy set before him, he endured the worst possible form of torture that the Roman Empire could even come up with. For the joy set before him. What is that joy? That joy is you. That joy is a reality that you can be a part of his family if you accept his sacrifice through the cross. And so he invites us in. Passage finishes. He says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father at the throne of God. So the key here in understanding this, while everybody doesn't have the same budget, if we were going to call ourselves follower of Christ, what that means is, while we may not have the same budget, we as Christians... We all have the same amount of sacrifice that he's calling us to. So you, your budget is going to be different than my budget. There's going to be more room to play with in yours. But at the end of the day, God has not called us to be equal givers. He called us to be equal sacrificers. And that's going to look different than it is for you and than it is for me. But you've got to understand that it is all, if I'm going to say I'm a follower of Christ, then I have got to give sacrificially and live sacrificially. Because that is who I am claiming I follow. Let me keep playing with some Skittles. Show it to you kind of like this. When it comes to our lives, we look at what we've been given. And for a lot of us, we have a tendency to feel like there's people here, there's people there. Fill this bad boy back up. Yes, we all want to be that one. And then there's folks down here. Everybody in this room, your natural propensity in regards to thinking whether, where you're at in regards to your income and how wealthy you are and what you feel like you have. Everybody feels like we're this guy right here. There's so many more people who are rich than me and there's so many people who are poor than me. No matter how much you make, whether or not you're a multi-billionaire, you still feel like you're right here. 
And our tendency is to always be looking this way and say, man, I just want to be more blessed by God so I can be right here. Rarely, if ever, do we look this way and understand that a simple life may actually be the more blessed life. This, this, this oftentimes is the life that I, I, I pray that God would make me more content to have. Because in this life is the striving. In this life is the propensity to get caught in the trap that seeks after these riches. The reality is, though, we don't know what problems come with this. To quote the great Biggie Smalls, mo money, mo problems. And what I want you guys, don't sleep on me. Don't think, I mean, come on. Grew up in the 2000s. I used to not be saved. Some of you guys don't forget I used to not be saved. There was a time. But what you don't see here is all the problems that come with the blessings that you want. And you don't, we, we underestimate and, and we just don't think that this life could be what we really want it to be. Do you know that, that like they have done so much research and studies and what they have come to find is that while money may help you to a point, but there actually is a lid to how much money will help your joy and contentment. Do you know what that lid number is? 75,000. All the research has shown that after the point where you make $75,000, combined household income, after $75,000, the money is not affecting your happiness at all. And so we're here, and we're looking up there and going, man, if I could just be more blessed. And here, for some of you, it's 75,000. And God's saying, would you, just, would you be content? Because here's the deal. A lot of times we think that the more I, I have, the more holy and blessed I am. The reality is, holy has nothing to do with what you have. Holy has everything to do with how you manage what you have. And when we look at this in regards to sacrifice, what this means for us is if we're going to be followers of Christ, it means that every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Because if, it, if it's your budget, if it's what you're spending your money on, whether you're a college student who's making minimum wage or you're an executive, every spending decision is a spiritual decision. We should be looking at what we do with our money. Every spending decision, we should be looking at it through the backdrop of a blood-stained cross, knowing that our Savior gave his life for us so that anybody and everybody could come into his family. And that's just not where we are a lot, guys. More often than not, every spending decision is just made to get here. And there are people probably even in this room who we took a $10,000 raise and moved our family across the country and we're regretting it because it promised a little bit more money, but it cost us a whole lot more time. And that's what Jesus was talking about. Yellow one, gross. When he said that some of you can do good things, but your eye is bad. He said, I need you to have a good eye. And what he was talking about there was this principle and this reality that I need you to see the things of the kingdom of God. The third key to budgeting like a believer is planning. Planning. It's actually having some planning that says, I'm going to budget to share with those in need. I've got to budget in a way where I share with people who are in need. Because you can't go throughout the Gospels, you can't look at New Testament believers and not see that so much of what they were doing was all revolving around inviting new people into their faith community and then saying, we are going to share the needs. 
This is not going to be all on one underwriter. This is going to be on us collectively sharing what we have to go to those who have less. And so many of our budgets, personal budgets in our families, there's no margin. There's no room for us to meet the needs and to share that with other people. But that's one of the markers of a New Testament church is that they shared and they had everything in common. So let's, let's have a little fun. We've been a little serious. Let's have some fun. There's three types of people in regards to finances. All right? You probably know these. We have savers, spenders, and most of the time that's just all we think it is. It's just savers and spenders. All right? And the funny thing is, God usually has these two people get married because opposites attract. An old country preacher said it like this. He said, when you're getting married, opposites attract. And then after you get married, opposites attract. Attack. (laughs) And you guys have experienced that. Because one of you is like, let's redo the bathroom. And the other you guys go, it's a bathroom. (laughs) But there's a third category. And the third category, after spenders, savers, is stewards. So I want to walk you through a test. You can flip your, your teaching notes over, and I want you to write down A, B, or C. It's a, multiple choice here. I want you to write down what you find yourself answering here to figure out whether or not you're a, spa, a, a saver, a spender, or a steward. Now, listen, if you're sent by your spouse, and you already know, you can't write their answers in for them. But you can check them in the car. Question number one. Which excites you most? A, a five-star vacation in Hawaii. B, Maxing out your retirement accounts for the year. Or C, dinner with your pastor who expresses thanks for your generous help in launching a new ministry. (laughs) That was kind of a, just making sure you're paying attention. Number two, you hear about a man who at 70 has managed his middle class income through meager living and careful saving and now has a current net worth of $8 million. Your first thought is, A, what a waste. Spending it would have been way more fun. Or B, wow, he really did well. I hope I can do that too. Or C, he may have missed some key opportunities to experience the joy of generosity. Three, success looks like A, Experiencing good food, traveling, living comfortably, and driving a new car. Success looks like B, retiring at 50. Or success looks like C, extending payoff of your mortgage and foregoing some luxuries in order to support a missionary family. Question four. Your annual, annual, bu- uh, annual bonus is twice as much as you thought it would be. Your first thought is, I'm heading out shopping. Or B, I'm putting this on the mortgage or C thank God for this I cannot wait to give a chunk of this away five spending in my life is A effortless B bothersome I don't want people to ask me to go out to dinner with them because I got food in the pantry or C spending in my life is controlled I feel good about the way it's handled. Question six. The saving in my life is A, bothersome. It's inconvenience and gets away of me having fun. B, 
effortless. I love building wealth. C, purposeful. I have healthy and reasonable goals, and I'm working towards those. Beyond that, I plan to give the rest away. Seven, the giving my life is A, obligatory, B, formulaic, or C, joyfully overflowing. You don't have to be a genius to know that if you answered A for the majority of those, you, my friend, are a spender. Welcome to the club. If you answered B to most of those, you're a saver. If you answered C to those, chances are you are trending towards being a godly steward of what he's entrusted you to. Where are you at? It's a good conversation. Good place to go. If you're going to get to the place where you actually start a budget, this is a really good place to go. I want to round out today's talk on this by showing you what, in my opinion, is one of the most terrifying passages of Scripture that oftentimes we never look at in regards to how we budget. But it keys in on this principle of budgeting what we have in order to share with others in need and planning on it and knowing that I'm not just planning on it because those things are going to come up and they're going to be needs of others, but I'm planning on budgeting to share with others because I'm actually going to be held accountable by Jesus Christ to how I shared with others. It's in Matthew 25. It's in your teaching notes. Read along with me. Not out loud, just to yourself. It's a long passage. I ain't going to make y'all do that. Matthew 25, 31 through 40. Jesus is trying to help people understand this simple truth. He's trying to help them understand what happens when you die. Which, I don't know, but like, maybe I'm the only one, but sometimes I really wonder about that. Like, what's going what's to happen when I die? Have you ever wondered that? Jesus gives us some clues. It's not all black and white, but he gives us some clues. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Lean in here. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer. Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, truly I tell you, Whenever you did one for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. Maybe you've never realized this before, but every single one of those things that Jesus mentioned as the delineating factor to whether or not he separated you to go to this place where the Father is present, he is saying, well done, you get to enter into what is called an inheritance, And the delineating factor between who he says, you're going to a place where the Father is not present. Where there is not a good inheritance. Where there is pain and weeping. All of those things that he said, they imply a monetary investment. He says, you gave me food. Food you had to buy with your money. You had to budget. To share. 
He said, you gave me something to drink. You, ha you had to budget to have the water to give away. He said, you, you, you had to give clothes. You clothed me when I was naked. Now, unless that person is the exact same shape and size as you, you're having to go buy those clothes for them. That implies a financial investment into their lives. He says, I was sick, and you came and you helped. Mucinex D costs like 75 bucks. It's expensive. It, it implies, if I'm going to help somebody get well, I've got to spend money on this. He says, I was in prison, and you came to visit me. It's gas money. And here's the deal. I, I think we look over this, and we go, oh, man, I just got to make sure I do those things. But we never go to the backside of things and realize all of those things are financial investments. And when we create our budgets, we don't put things in there that say, I'm planning. Jesus, I am setting aside money in order to give it to other people. And realizing that there is eternity at stake. And I'm not just going to be held accountable for how I budgeted while I was on earth. I'm going to be held accountable how I budgeted on earth because you're looking to me to represent you, to be an ambassador for your love to people who don't know you yet. And what's crazy here is I sit back and I think about all the times that I've overlooked the needs of those people around me and I have been overlooking Jesus Christ himself. And church, I don't want that to be us. If Jesus is on the corner, if Jesus is at Hardy's, if Jesus walks into our church with a need, I don't want us to miss him. So let's lean into the reality that every action that we do with our money has spiritual implications. The big question I leave you today, big question I'm, I've been asking myself, been leaning into with our family is this. Do you budget like eternity is a reality? Do you budget like eternity is a reality? Really? Or do you budget to keep up with the Joneses? Like, like if someone at your, at your funeral, if they looked at how you did things and how you managed your estate, would it only make sense if there was a real heaven that you were headed to? Would it only make sense if you believed that this life was not all of it? Do you budget like eternity is a reality? Because friends, the, as I read and I study this, I can't get around the fact that there has got to be more to this life than what we experience right now. And I want you to be able to experience the fact that you have a loving Father, Heavenly Father, who has called you out of slavery to money, called you out of slavery to whatever it may be, to said, let's set up some financial principles, let's set up some things in our lives, some safeguards to keep you from going back into bondage to the slavery and the bad slave owner that is money. And so today, as we get ready to give as a church, my prayer is that you can give from a joyful heart, that you today can take a step to say, I'm choosing to be a steward of what God has given me. And that as you leave out of here, you can find yourself going to a place where you, you have some honest, hard conversations at home. And maybe for some of you, the big giant step is to actually set up a real budget. My prayer is that you would do that today. You would take that step of trust.
begin to live like someone who has an eternal guarantee if your faith is in Christ that there's a place that there's a home that you will have more than what you need that anything that you give away in this world will be repaid back in multiples to you and to trust him in that let's pray Jesus and thank you for your love your grace holiness that you offer us that we do not deserve thank you for the sacrifice I pray today that your people would know God that what they're giving is not a charitable donation it is an act of worship I pray they do it with a joyful heart in your name